You're listening to a podcast from Northeast Christian Church. For more information about Northeast, go to ncclex.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning, Northeast. So these goggles belong to my son, Christian, and they're virtual reality goggles. So you take the front off here, snap the phone in, and you put these things on, and you can watch any video, play games, all kinds of cool stuff. And what's neat about virtual reality is that it takes you from here to a totally different world. And when you think about it, that's what's occurring every single day. You put these goggles on, and you block out everything else. You've probably seen some videos where people are experimenting with virtual reality and they get so involved in it that they start to stumble. Or the famous video where the lady's climbing a mountain and she falls in the video and then she actually falls backward in a store. Because you're so immersed, you're so immersed in what you're seeing that you forget about everything else. In other words, if if you think about virtual reality, you get to choose what you see. You're in full control of your perspective. So then they're talking about post-virtual reality. They're talking about augmented reality. And this isn't a pair, but it'll give you the impression. Augmented reality is where you take a set of glasses. They're not goggles. They're glasses. You put them on, and you're still fully aware of everything that's going on around you. But through the lens, there's another filter that is overlaid so it enhances what you're seeing. And both virtual reality and augmented reality, they affect your perception of what's going on. Virtual reality takes you out of the context you're in, submerses you fully into another context, blocks everything else out. But augmented reality wants to add a layer to the lens And add a little more value to what you're already seeing. That strikes me as what we're working with in our wacky, weird world. We've got people who read the news, see what's going on on television. You Google Fox, CNN, Yahoo, you see the headlines. Then you just want to go to a different reality. You block all of that out. Now, I'm not arrogant enough to assume that I can solve all societal ills through a 30-minute monologue. However, I am just arrogant enough to believe that you and I can add value to an increasingly virtual and violent society. And I think we can do so through augmenting reality and allowing the living and active Word of God to speak and bridge any distance that develops when we're dealing with different. And I think that's exactly what Paul was saying when he wrote his second letter to a church in Corinth. It actually comes from chapter 10. Notice his language. He says, hey, yeah, we do. We do live in the world, but we do not fight in the same way the world fights. We follow this guy named Jesus He's our leader and he leads us to do life differently. We fight with weapons that are different from those the world uses. Hey, these weapons, 
They have power from God. And they can destroy strong places. Now, some of your Bibles, if you cross-reference this, strong places is actually strongholds. Most of your Bibles will say strongholds. And that was a figurative term. The Greek word that we translate, it's a figurative term. And it was actually one used to illustrate that someone wanted to hide behind their opinion, their preference, or their perspective and escape reality. That was the first century meaning. So Paul says, we fight with weapons that can destroy strong places that people develop, that cause distance between one another. We can destroy that. We can destroy arguments and every pretension. So we capture every thought, we make it give up, and we make our thoughts obey Christ. Paul says, hey, people want to escape reality. They want to see what they want to see. They want to form their own perception, perspective, maybe even block everything else out. But that's not how we operate. We fight, if you will, in a different way so that we can bridge the distance that is increasing between people. And I love how he says, we destroy arguments and pretensions. So valuable. Michelle and I were in an argument. Am I allowed to tell you as a pastor that Michelle and I have fights? Or do you all still think we're perfect? Perfect, yeah. Well, we're not. We're not. We still have fights. So we had an argument some time ago. We're in the kitchen. She's leaned up against this counter like this. And I'm going to cross, you know, like eight feet, leaned up against the dishwasher like this. And in a fight, I can talk so much. I am, Michelle, don't amen that if you're in here for first service. I can talk so much. I can go on and on and on. And it was one of those moments I was going on and on and on. But I go on and on and on because I know I'm right. I know I'm right in this context. So I labor my side of the argument and then Michelle's just standing there and I get finished and we are good about this. We say, okay, your turn. You respond to that. So we reach that point and say, okay, will you respond to that? And her words caught me off guard because I knew I had, man, defended my position so well. And she said, well, actually, she said, what you did is you interrupted me when we first got started. You interrupted me, and then you twisted my words. That's not the powerful part. The powerful part is what she said next. You interrupted me, you twisted my words, and then she said, but you know what? I think you really needed to say that. I was so eager to express myself that I excused myself from reality. I really didn't listen to her, but she really heard me. She said, I think you needed to say that. She listened to me. When you listen to someone, you actually invite them back into reality. Because it's so easy for you and I to put on the goggles, block everything that's really going on, and buy into what we choose or what we want to see. We want to form and shape our own perspective, our own perception. And we can be blinded to the truth. 
So when you listen to someone, you invite them back into reality. I think that's what James meant. Remember James 1 verses 19 and 20? He says, everyone should be quick to listen. You're quick to listen. First and foremost, you hear the other person. Even if they interrupt, even if they twist your words, because they may really need to say what's going on in their mind. And if you allow that, if you listen, you can invite them back into reality. Because when you listen, what happens? You're slow to speak. And if you're slow to speak, then you're slow to become angry. Anger doesn't bring about the righteous life that God wants for us. So this weapon we fight with that Paul's referring to, the first weapon, you listen. You listen and it destroys the strong places, the arguments. It invites people back into really what's going on. It augments reality. It adds another layer through which we can look and say, okay, this is a thought I need to take captive and make it obedient to Christ. This is warped thinking. But it also says, you know, we can destroy strong places, strongholds, arguments, and every pretension as well. Every pretension. You know, one of the most pretentious things we can do is look, is look at someone who's different. And then that odd way we have in our fallen, broken humanity of thinking we're a little better than someone else simply because of the way they look or their appearance. Isn't that crazy how we do that? But it's so easy. Uh, several years ago, when we lived back home in Harlan, Michelle and I had a mutual friend, really good guy. He was from the Middle East, fantastic guy. I worked at him at a comprehensive care, worked with him at a comprehensive care center, colleagues. Built a good friendship with a guy, have a very clear memory of being at his house. It's when my oldest daughter, Leah, when she was a small gal. We're at his house and he's teaching, he's in the kitchen and he's teaching Leah to make these cookies that they made back at his home. See her up on the counter, they're stirring all that stuff. Good friends with this guy. So last year when the staff went to the leadership summit over at Quest, one of their satellite campuses, I'm walking across the parking lot after lunch going back into Quest's building and I get a call, it's Michelle, she knows where I'm going and when I'm headed somewhere like that where I gotta be, she usually doesn't call unless it's an emergency. So I see her number, so I answer it. And she tells me that our friend, and I knew this, he had gotten into a little trouble, debatable what's going on, got into a little trouble. Then it escalated into a little scuffle and he had been shot and he died. I remember walking across the parking lot, doubled over. Felt like I was going to puke. And I go into Quest and sit down. She relays the story to me. I'm thinking, this guy's dead. Heartbreaking. But what was more heartbreaking was on social media, following his death, this guy got ripped because he was connected to another culture. Ripped. He's dead. And people are so pretentious. They're ripping this guy. 
because he's from the Middle East. It's repulsive. Those are the thoughts, Paul says, you take that captive. You make that kind of thinking give up and make it obey Christ. It's not healthy. I remember reading one comment that said, it's so good. So good that he's dead. He's guilty. Very obscure Bible verse I want you to write down, flip over in your Bible if you have it tangibly open. Circle it, highlight it, something. This is a verse that our world needs to remember. This is from God himself. It's very obscure though. Ezekiel 18. Can you remember this verse? God's speaking and he says, Am I pleased with the death of a sinful man? And then he answers his own question. No. 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 Instead, I would like him to turn from his evil ways and live. It's so pretentious when we look at someone from another culture and we rise above them. Or someone who doesn't have life figured out yet and they lose their life and we applaud. Those are the thoughts we take captive. We make them give up. We destroy those strong places. We destroy those arguments. We destroy those pretensions. And we make them obedient to Christ. With an augmented reality, we can invite people back into reality as God sees it. One of my favorite authors, Dwayne Elmer, he writes a book on cross-cultural communication. And he says, you know, when we meet someone and they're different, whatever different looks like, we meet someone, they're different, we automatically, unintentionally, indirectly make an immediate assessment. He says, unfortunately, the assessment usually starts working with what's wrong, the category of wrong initially. And he goes on and has this great list of how this develops. And he says, if it's wrong, if I start working with someone and it's wrong, well, what do I need to do? Well, if I see something wrong, I need to correct it. I mean, if it's wrong, it should be made right. And if I need to correct it because it's wrong, I can also reject it. I mean, after all, if it's wrong, it should be made right. And if it's wrong, I don't need to understand it. It's wrong. I don't need to understand it. Teach that to my wife who's able to say, hey, you interrupted You twisted my words. You were wrong. But I think you needed to express that. And I'm here to invite you back into reality. I'm here to listen. So he goes on and says, hey, if you correct it and you want to reject it because it's wrong, you need to make it right. You don't need to understand it. Here's what he says happens when you start going through that formula. Now what you're dealing with is not just practices, not just the outward appearance that I name is wrong, actually begin to place people in the category of wrong too. Place people in the category of wrong. Didn't Monty do a fantastic job last week illustrating there's a difference between a person and then a practice? He described sin as an event, not a person. But it's so easy for you and I, without taking our thoughts captive, to start seeing people in the category of wrong. 
And then you can see how easy it is for people to become adversaries, even enemies. So we need an augmented reality. We don't want to block the world out. We want to build into it. We want to allow the living word of God to speak and bridge any distance that develops. So I'm going to give you three verses and kind of attach a little meaning to them. And I hope they're as powerful for you as they have been for me. These can be game changers. The first one is Romans chapter 12, verse 18. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And let's keep this one up for just a moment. So a few weeks ago, I'm at the intersection of Man of War and Liberty Road. And I'm on Liberty Road. And I'm going to go through the traffic light and hang a left. Well, I'm not usually there at a particular time of day. And I notice that the left arrow lane, it's moving kind of quickly. Not traffic moving quickly, but the light. It's green for like eight or like three seconds. You know what I'm talking about? So I'm trying to get a feel for the traffic and get on. Man of War slammed. It's packed. So we get into this rhythm where four or five cars can go and that's it. So I'm like, okay, next round. I got to follow the guy in front of me and just go for it. I got to get out on Man of War. So the light turns green. They're slammed. And I'm like, okay, I think we can make it. I'm just going to follow this guy. So I'll follow the guy before me. Before I'm even out on Man of War, it's yellow. And then it's immediately red. And I just excel a little more. And I get out there. Then I realize, oh, man, I blew it. I'm in trouble now. So I do one of those deals where... I'm out on man of war needing to hang a left, but there's a left turn lane here too. And they want to turn this way and I'm blocking them. You know what I'm talking about? Unfortunately, I'm really close to this car that needs to turn left and I don't want to look over. I look over and this guy's going, doing all these things. And then he sees me looking at him and then he does this. He goes, Oh my gosh, I had a few gestures, you know, that I wanted to respond with myself, but I didn't. And I'm thinking, ah, I wanted to get so mad at this guy. But here's what checked me. I was wrong. I was wrong. I contributed to this chaos because I followed someone who was unaware or unconcerned with where we were going. Not sure where we were going to end up, how this was going to play out. I just followed someone. I contributed to the chaos. And in that moment, I realized, okay, this guy's going nuts. I want to respond in an aggressive way. But it's possible to produce peace in this moment. And you know what? It depends on me. In this moment right here, it's possible and it's dependent upon me to produce peace. He's not going to. I've got to take the lead. That's the word of God, bridging the divides, bridging the distance. When it depends on you, you take the lead. You produce peace. Think about Ephesians 4, verse 29. 
Ephesians 4.29. Hey, when you talk, when you talk, do not say harmful things. I love the clarity of that. Just don't. Don't say harmful things. Hard conversations, yes. Relaying facts, of course. But speech should never be saturated with harm or hate. Instead, we need to communicate. So, but say what people need. Words that will help others become stronger. Then what you say will do good because they're listening to you. They're listening to you. So uh, some of you know Sebastian Bryson and I. Excuse the language for a moment. Sebastian's cool with this. White guy, black guy. We decided some time ago that we were going to sit down with some, time, some type of regularity. And we were going to sit across the table, probably have lunch, some context like that. And we were going to talk. We were going to ask questions. We were going to learn. We were going to ask questions and gain ideas and make a conversation in that setting that you maybe can't make in the public arena right now. And we're going to fellowship with each other. Nothing harmful. Just talking, communicating, getting to know each other, building each other up. Martin Luther King Jr., notice this quote. And I've seen the fruit, and I know Sebastian has too, of what happens when you, when you take that, when you take that initiative. He says, you know, people fail to get along simply because they fear each other. I get that. But they fear each other because they don't know each other. And that makes sense. And they don't know each other because they haven't communicated with each other. That's another weapon that Paul lays out. That's how we destroy strong places and arguments and pretensions. We communicate with each other. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Some of you know this verse is saying, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but I love the NLV. Our fight is not with people. I walked into Meyer the other day and they've got the greeter standing there about 20 feet away from this guy. And I'm looking at him thinking, I don't have any beef with this guy. This is another man, another person, another human being. My fight's not with people. What's going on in our world? So I go over to the guy, shake hands, give a little bro hug. We talk. His smile, his handshake, they were so sincere. Not just some extension of his employment or anything like that. Wasn't greeting me for his paycheck. The guy knows that our fight is not with people. There's something else stirring in this world in which we live. There's leaders and powers and spirits of darkness. And that's why we've got to take every thought captive, make it give up and obey Christ. These are the weapons that Paul is saying, this is how we fight. This is how we fight. And when we fight this way, it destroys arguments. It destroys pretensions. It destroys those strong places. It destroys the idea that I'll see what I want, I'll build into that and I'll block everything else out. 
It encourages us to build into this world. Acts 15, we don't have it on the screen. I just want to tell you the story. Well, I think we do have it on the screen. Acts 15. You know, when you read throughout your New Testament, there's this constant tension between Jew and Gentile. Jew and Gentile. And the Jews made a very bad mistake early on in the history of the church. They had this rich history of eating certain foods, having circumcision, honoring certain days as holy. And then all of a sudden, these Gentiles who knew nothing about these rituals or this history or this heritage, they start coming into the church. And the Jews had to wrestle with this this thought. Do they need to become Jews before they become Christians? That's why you read so much in your Bible about circumcision. Does someone who's not Jewish need to become a Jew and then become a Christian? In other words, do they need to become like me before they can get connected with Christ? You know, I hate to admit this, but I think early on in my ministry, I had some similar impressions in my mind. As if, as if, Christ, as if Christ belonged to me. And I could choose who gets to play in the game. So they write this letter. And you can read about it in Acts chapter 15. They write this letter. They get together. They study it. They're like, no, no, no. We can't make it difficult. Here's what we expect from the Gentiles coming in. And the language is beautiful. And they write this letter to a group of Gentiles. And they said, hey, we shouldn't make it difficult. We shouldn't make it difficult for people. And I love that principle. Let's not make it difficult for people. Let's not make it difficult for people. Let's augment reality and build into the world. I think of Susan Walton, our guest services director. Had a meeting with her the other day. She was in tears. Loved the passion she has for people. And her comment was, you know, there are people in this world who are hurting because there is a great compliment. I don't know if you're aware of this, but Northeast Christian Church gets complimented consistently about the friendliness of this place. Our hosts, our greeters, you make a remarkable difference when people come through these doors. And I asked Susan, why is that such a high value? Why do we do that so well? And her reasoning was, people are hurting and they've got to know we care. We're not going to make it difficult. Jeff Brown, he leads a care ministry. He was in my office a couple of weeks ago and his comment was, it doesn't matter. People are hurting and it doesn't matter who they are. We're gonna be there for them. Don't you love that? NCC, you're proof. You're proof that there's still good going on. There's still good going on. Let's allow the living and active word of God to bridge the distance when it's possible and those moments depend on you to make peace, produce it. Take the lead. When it's time to speak and build into the conversation, do so without harmful speech. Know that, hey, someone who's different than you, even if they're living in a virtual or violent reality, You're not at war with them. Your fight's not with people. Take those thoughts captive. Make them give up 
and obey Christ. So I was thinking about my baby daughter, Bella. She wasn't feeling too well a couple of weeks ago. She stayed at home one day from school. We're snuggled up on the couch and beg your pardon here if you don't mind me to spend a few moments talking about a kid's movie. Is that okay? Especially you guys without kids. I'm sorry if I'm boring you. We're just snuggled up on the couch. We're watching this movie called Barnyard. You've heard of that? It's an animated film about these animals. Once the farmer leaves, goes into town, these animals are acting like humans and all this jazz. So we're snuggled up. We're watching this little movie and it reaches a point to where the wolves enter the scene and they're the antagonists. They want to come along and they want to steal the chickens and they want to take them back to their junkyard and cook them and eat them. So I make the deduction, they're the bad guys. Is that fair? I think so too. They're the bad guys. So we're snuggled up watching them. The wolves come in. They come into this hen house or whatever it's called. And they're gathering up all these hens or chickens or whatever, these things with feathers. And then this cow who's kind of like the tough guy who protects the barnyard. He's been playing a guitar, a guitar throughout the uh, whole movie so he comes into the hen house and he's got the guitar there and he walks in and he kind of scolds the main leader of the wolves and then they start to attack him this is really good right I see you into it everybody's leaning up what's gonna happen so he walks over and these wolves start to attack him and he takes his guitar and he just starts like a baseball bat whacking them and I'm thinking yeah and then Bella's like oh daddy daddy I don't want those wolves to get hurt. Why not? They're the bad guys, right? Come on. She's like, no, daddy. I don't want the wolves to get hurt. Can I make two observations about that? One, people follow the plot differently. And you never know how someone's reading this narrative. Sometimes you got a group that says, there's the bad guys right there. And then you've got another group and they're like, no, 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 no. That's the bad guys right there. And you never know how someone is following the plot. Observation two, I realize this little girl, she doesn't like violence of any kind. She doesn't do violence. We got a story just like that from the Gospel of Luke. It's where Judas comes, catches up with Jesus. He's going to turn him over to the authorities. And you got his followers, Jesus' followers, the 12. You think, how have they been following the plot? We jump in in verse 47. So a crowd approached, led by Judas, one of the 12 disciples. And Judas walked over to Jesus to greet him with a kiss. And Jesus said, Judas, would you really betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when the other disciples who were following the plot saw what was about to happen, they said, Lord, should we fight? And one of them struck at the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. And Jesus said, no more of this. No more violence. I see how you've been following the plot. You've got it wrong. We don't 
do violence. And he touched the man's ear and he healed him. He's fighting with a different weapon. Our leader, our go-to guy, he doesn't fight the way the world fights. And he says, if you're gonna follow me, that's the example. This really caught Peter's attention. When Peter started writing his letters, notice how he recounts this. To this, what we just read, to this you were called because Christ, he suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. When they hurled their insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. You and I are called to add value to an increasingly virtual and violent society. We have an opportunity to go out and be proof there's still good going on. We can augment reality and allow the living and active Word of God to bridge distance. What you and I have to do is take our thoughts captive. When there's a strong place, an argument, a pretension, we make that give up and we make it obedient to our leader. You're up for that. I know you and I know you are. Father in heaven, you call us to a high standard because the stakes are high with you. And we thank you. Thank you for the example of Jesus and the love that he demonstrated on his way to the cross. I mean, this was a guy with many foes rising against him. But he knew that his help was on the way and his help was from you. He didn't need to fight the way the world fights. He would entrust himself to the one who judges justly. And in doing so, he's been changing lives for 2,000 years. And he's changed many lives here in this room. Father, thank you for the example of Jesus Christ. Thank you for showing us how we can add value to an increasingly virtual and violent society. And we can show that, hey, you know what? Because of Jesus, there's still good going on. To that end, we pray in his name, Father. Amen.